Welcome to Royals Review Radio. I'm the editor of Royals Review, Max Reaper, and uh, we are finally at the outset of spring training here. And of course, joining us in the best shape of his life is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing tonight? Oh my God, I I've been eating a hard-boiled eggs or a dozen eggs a day in the off season, <laughs> working out, uh, doing Pilates, just everything ready to go, ready to get these 180 innings is that the billy butler offseason plan or is that the mike sweeney offseason uh plan uh i think it's a little bit of the the kyle zimmer offseason plan where it's where every single offseason kyle zimmer's in the best shape of his life and throwing pain free because he did pilates or now he's worked with driveline and it doesn't matter i mean so that's just uh this is the eat at arby's nothing really ever matters i'm gonna (laughs) eat it anyways so well, also joining us and ready to report for spring training is uh, Hokaius. Uh, Hokaius, how are you doing tonight? Oh, you know, pretty good. Awesome. Oh, you know, I'm doing pretty good because we have baseball right around the corner. We've got pitchers and catchers reporting officially to spring training, the rest of the squad reporting later this week. Uh, so I thought it'd be a good time to maybe catch up. We actually have quite a bit of baseball news to catch up on. In fact, we have breaking news. Uh, the Royals... Today have signed uh, lefty reliever Jake Diekman, who spent seven years in the big leagues, mostly with the Texas Rangers, a little bit with the Phillies, and last year he spent a little bit of time with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, he's 31 years old. It's a $2.25 million deal, one-year deal with, of course, the mutual option of half a million dollars in 2020. So really a stopgap to depth to the bullpen. He had a three or 4.73 ERI last year, but he had, he had done quite a bit better than that in the last couple of years. Uh, 2.53 ERA in 2017. The big thing is that he can miss bats. He struck out uh, 11 per nine innings in his entire career. Uh, Sean, I know you know I probably haven't had too much time to delve into this, but what's your, kind of your instant reaction on getting Jake Diekman? I mean, you can never have too many relievers going into spring training. Even I mean, two and a half million is not nothing, or 2.25 million is not nothing in the sense that um, you know I guess you could cut him, still loan, you know, not a insignificant amount um but yeah sure why not i mean i think if you want to just pile a bunch of guys who can strike guys out something that's never really been a huge i don't think forte of the royals pitching staff um the relief corps has done that a little bit better but their overall pitching staff has never been you know the gaudy strikeout like the yankees um and so yeah i mean sure why not i mean it's not a a bad signing I, you know it probably isn't gonna be revolutionary but um nothing hurts at this point and best case is because you've got the mutual option on them um, well, never mind. I was gonna say, best case is you've got the mutual option on them. You can trade them, and then whoever you trade them to has them for next year. But it's a mutual option, so obviously it's not gonna happen. So, um, I was gonna say, best case you can just flip at the deadline, and eh, good outcome, right? Yeah, and he was flipped at the deadline last year by the Rangers. They ended up getting uh, two minor leaguers. I mean, certainly not top prospects or anything, but you know, two guys that who knows, maybe they turn into something. So, you know, interesting signing, and and. You know, he does miss bats, which has been kind of a theme for them this offseason. I think they, there is more of an emphasis on getting guys that can strike hitters out. It's also interesting. The, my first reaction, I guess, was that, you know, they're adding another left-handed arm to the pen when they already have Tim Hill, who's a lefty specialist. They have Brian Flynn, who, who kind of does a little bit of everything. And then they have Richard Lovelady waiting in the wings, uh, who's also probably their best, you know, best reliever right now in their organization, even though he hasn't pitched a single inning of Major League Baseball. But then I looked at Jake Diekman's splits, and he's actually, last year he was actually terrible against left-handers, but quite effective against right-handers. He's not really a a traditional situational lefty, so I'll be kind of interested in seeing how they use him, if Ned Yost will, 
will maybe use him in, in all situations, not just against lefties, since there really isn't a need for that with Tim Hill on the roster. But, uh, yeah, I agree it's not bad to add some depth. And if they can if they can flip him at the deadline, uh, then, then then that's that's great. Um, it, but it's actually the second uh, signing of the week, um, if you want to inc- include Brad Boxberger, who was signed uh, to a one-year one contract worth $2 million, $2.2 million. Uh, Boxberger... Uh, had been the closer for the Diamondbacks last year. He's also on the Diamondbacks, so we've been kind of uh, getting quite a few players from that organization, if you add in Brock, uh, Brad Keller as well. Boxberger uh, began the year as a closer last year, 32 saves, uh, but kind of struggled during the middle of the year with control, ended up with a 4.39 ERA, and was non at the end of the year. Hokias, um, you know, the Royals don't really have a lot of guys with major league experience, especially closing games. Willie Peralta looked like he was kind of the incumbent closer, but you know he doesn't have a ton of experience doing that. Um, so you know, what do you what do you think about Brad Boxberger getting into the mix here, and, and do you think he has a shot to be the uh, the closer? I, I I would definitely expect him with all the closing experience he's had to be in the mix. I don't I I, I seriously doubt that anybody walks into spring training with the closer job the way the bullpen is right now. Um. And the, the really interesting thing to me about both Boxberger and Diekman, besides the fact that they're coming from the Diamondbacks, is just how many guys they strike out and how many guys they walk. It's like the Royals replaced Brandon Maurer with a, with a couple more Brandon Maurers who've had just a <laughs> tiny bit more success. So um, I he had, what he had what did we say, 32 saves last year? That's not, uh, that's not terrible. So it might be better to he might work as a setup guy. Maybe maybe they'll say he he had too much pressure on him as a closer, and we make him the setup guy, and he'll be great. And then try and flip him at the deadline the same way that they hopefully will do Deekman. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like there's going to be a competition at least, and uh, Boxberger certainly has more experience. He actually led the league in saves with the Rays a couple years ago, so. I would think he'd have the inside track, but, um, you know, I guess we'll see. I mean, I'm sure they'll have somewhat of a competition. But, you know, Sean, with these signings, I mean, they bring, they're bringing a couple of veteran guys in here and with Boxberger, and, you know, he's locked to make the team. Diekman's a lock to make the team. Peralta's a, a lock to make the team at this point. You could probably pencil in Tim Hill as well. You've got those Rule 5 guys, Sam McWilliams and Chris Ellis, that they, who they have to keep or, or send them back to the original clubs. You've got uh, uh, Arnaldo Hernandez who might make the team. You've got uh, guys like guys that won't make the rotation. You know, possibly Jorge Lopez, Heath Fillmire. Uh, is, is there going to be enough innings for all of these young pitchers if they keep signing veterans like Brad Boxberger and Jake Diekman? Yeah, I think you worry about the Diekmans more. Um, not to worry about it, but I think you're more focused on the Diekmans who – take up a little bit more capital um, as far as like you can't just I mean you can cut them but it's not something that like you would just you know come March 15th you're like okay well there goes you know 2.25 million dollars um, and I know Boxberger uh, wait what am I missing how much Berger signed for was it a minor league deal it was a, no, no he got a major league deal similar amount to Deakman it was really? two something I was thinking it was less than that um, <clears throat> oh yeah yeah you're 2. right 2.2 million with some incentives yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, so I guess, yeah, so they're both about the same. Um, but, I mean, those are the guys that you'd worry about necessarily taking away time from maybe like a Richard Lovelady um, 
or like Carlos Hernandez, someone maybe in the system who you could see a younger guy who has options. And by options, I mean uh, what surface time options can be demoted to the minor leagues um, if they're not on, if they are on the forty man. So that's what you kind of what I think you would worry the most about is that you know Brad Boxberger having just a okay spring and if he was on a minor league deal he'd be dfa'd or you know or just told to go home um but you know instead you owe him two three million dollars so you at least have to kind of keep him around for a bit which means you know love lady starts back in triple a so that's the only issue i would have but other than that and that's a minor issue so really other than not other than that i mean yeah i mean it's uh, i don't think you can have too many arms going into spring and i mean to be honest none of these guys are like slam dunk like these guys are for sure going to be good and, you know, be our closer going forward. So, I mean, the more guys you can have to try that out, the I think the better off you are. That's one of the things I was thinking about is that uh, the bullpen is the one place on the roster um, where you just really don't have any definite answers about anything that nobody really shined in the bullpen last year. So just bringing in more guys for more competition and, and more opportunities to do something isn't really a bad thing in my way of thinking. Yeah, and I kind of see it as like they'll, they'll, they'll trying to try guys in waves. And I, I would expect Lovelady to start the year in the minors, probably Kyle Zimmer as well. And, you know, they'll give maybe the Rule 5 guys a, a chance. And, and maybe, uh, you, know, guy, you know, we'll see if like Kevin McCarthy can repeat his performance. I believe he has another option year. So if he doesn't, you know, if he falters somehow, that they can send him back to the minors and maybe bring one of the, those other guys up. So I, I would expect, you know, quite a, quite a bit of movement between Kansas City and Omaha. And, and I think you guys are right. Having, just having more arms uh, will help out. Uh, you know, one game, name we haven't mentioned that could end up at the bullpen is Ian Kennedy. And uh, Ned Yost actually raised that possibility today. Uh, and they also asked Ian Kennedy about it, and he didn't sound super thrilled about the idea. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he may not have a choice. You know, he, he's, he's really coming off back-to-back, you know, poor seasons. He had the oblique injury last year. You know, he's not, you know, he's well into his 30s now. So, you know, Hokaius, you know, is, 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 does it make more sense to put Kennedy, if nothing more than just to get a longer look at, you know, Jorge Lopez as a starter, Heath Fillmire as a starter, Trevor Oaks as a starter? I mean, do we really need to see Ian Kennedy trotted out there for more starts? Or is it more, is it a situation where we need to have a guy to kind of be a placeholder until those guys are ready? I, I I really kind of see Kennedy's best role. I don't know if this is how they'll use him, but I see his best role as being kind of a Chris Young in 2015, where he starts the year as the long guy in the bullpen, and, and he's just kind of the swing guy. He'll he'll pick up starts and, and take innings for you when no one else is there to do it. But the, the only reason he's on this roster is because they're paying him an exorbitant amount of money to be on the roster. They can't trade him. They don't want to eat that salary, so he's here. But he's he's not been good. He's not been healthy. So as far as I'm concerned, putting him in the bullpen and keeping him away from the rotation as much as possible is going to be what best serves the Royals uh, at this point. But who knows? Uh, Ned Yost says now that uh, Kennedy could be headed to the bullpen but I feel like he always kind of uh, uh, gives leeway to the veterans a little bit and tries to, to put them in positions where they want to be. And if, especially if, if Kennedy already sounds like he's not super happy about the idea, 
then I think Ned Yost will, will try to find every way he can to put him in the rotation until he just proves that he can't do it because of injuries or because of effectiveness. Yeah, and it, I wonder, too, if, like, if this is kind of Ned's way of uh, motivating Kennedy a little bit, like, hey, you don't exactly have a rotation spot locked up. You might want to, you know, show us a little something here in Arizona to make sure you do have a rotation spot. But I, I kind of agree with you. I think he'll. I think there's going to be a or, strong preference to keep him in the rotation. I, it could also be encouragement just to the other guys because yeah, it's it looked like six or seven guys for one rotation spot, and then if he starts saying, oh well, maybe Ian mm-hmm. Kennedy doesn't have a spot, then oh well, maybe I do have a chance. I better work hard, you know. Yeah. Sean, is is there any hope of getting some value from Kennedy if he moves to the bullpen? I mean, we've seen some guys, you know, Wade Davis infamously was, you know, a terrible starter who moved to the bullpen and, you know, was a much better, much more effective pitcher. Kennedy, of course, would be making that transition a lot older. Uh, but does that mean, you know, he couldn't salvage uh, his career somehow by becoming a reliever at this point? I have said what I have to say about the Ian Kennedy contract and I no longer have any comment <laughs> on Ian Kennedy's contract, the the value remaining on it and his future role. Uh, but no, I mean, no. He, even the best relievers, and I'm talking like the Craig Kimbrells of the world, they make whatever you want to call it. I don't know, whatever. Kimbrell's making $14 million a year or something like that. Um, Kennedy's getting paid. Uh, what's he making this year? He's going to make 16 and a half. So even if he's the best reliever in the world, he is getting well, – Kenley Jansen might be making more. But anyway, so you get the point. Even if he's like the best reliever in the world, he's basically on a free agent reliever contract, and those contracts typically aren't that good to begin with anyways. Um, so, no, I, I can't understand there would be any value unless you convert him to a reliever and then like he's really good and then – uh, the Yankees or someone like, you know, oh, yeah, sure, we'll take the rest of his contract off his hands. And then even then, you're just getting out of a, an albatross instead of, you know, actually getting any, that much value. So, no, I, again, I I have spoken my piece about Ian Kennedy. I will never talk about him again from here on out. <laughs> if only there was someone that would have predicted this would be a bad deal at the time he signed <laughs> it. Um, as long as we're talking about old starting pitchers who aren't really all that good anymore, we should mention that the Royals also signed a veteran uh, starting pitcher named Homer Bailey. If you think the Ian Kennedy deal is bad, Bailey was released after signing a six-year, $105 million deal. He hasn't really been any good since 2013. Uh, The Royals are going to try to see if he has anything left in the tank. Uh, You know, when when he was good, he was pretty good. I mean, it's not like the ceiling is super high. I mean, he was a... A three-win uh, pitcher in 2013, one and a half in 2014. Since then, he has been below replacement level every single season. It was negative 1.5 WAR last year, uh, and it was one in 14. If you still believe in win-loss record, if that shows you how bad Ooh. he was. Uh, he's 33 years old. Uh, Ned Yo said he's not. He's in here to compete as a starter, not as a reliever. Sean, is there any chance that Homer Bailey has something to show the Royals this year? Hell no. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just joking. But no, I mean, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, another one of those guys where, I mean, the Reds are picking up a tab, so he doesn't work out. Well, whatever it is, minimum salary. Um, you know, it doesn't work out, and whatever, you cut him. But, oh, my God, what a contract. Because this is the kind of lower pitcher equivalent of, like, the Jason Hayward contract, where he's really 
because Bailey is worth four wins in 2013. So you sign him for age 28 to call it whatever, 33 or whatever his tenure would be on that deal. And like, you go, okay, coming off a four win season, like, okay, you know, we should get at least get three wins a year ish. And then just like Hayward, you know, signed his contract and the next day he forgot how to hit. Omar Bailey, you know, apparently forgot how to pitch. So I don't know. It's, uh, he's been so, so, so bad. Uh, like all the time since, and of course he's been injured, and I don't know. I mean, I don't think they get anything out of him, even at his peak. I mean, he was good, but like he went from one and a half wins to two point seven to four point one, and then back down to one point six. So I mean, the four point one is probably the outlier, um, but still, I, I think that I, I think his best days are probably behind him. But I mean, it's basically at he's basically a free flyer. So yeah. sure. Why not? And I think the, the war you're looking at was fan graphs while I was, I was citing baseball. Yes. Yeah, yes. Right. But, but yeah, it's pretty much along the same lines. And yeah, that $105 million deal is just amazing to me what a deal. because he wasn't, it's not like he was like super great when he signed it. I mean, he was promising, but he was like a poor man's Danny Duffy and he yeah. wasn't a free agent. This he was under club control and they just signed him that long extension and boy, that just blew up in their face. So yeah, but yeah, the reds, and the Dodgers are picking up the entire tab, so it doesn't really cost the Royals anything, even if he makes the team. So that's he didn't he didn't even place in Cy Young voting in twenty thirty. He's never been an All Star. <laughs> no, I didn't even realize that. So, yeah. Wow, a one oh eight ERA. I don't usually cite ERA, but he had a one oh eight ERA plus, and they gave him that deal. Oh my yeah. God, who is this Dayton Moore? <laughs> Yeah, who was that? Uh, I guess who was it? Well, was it Walt Jockety probably back in the day? I think it's so. Jockety. Yeah. yeah. So, well, that's why he's not working anymore. So. Oh, God. <laughs> well, let's talk about some players that are actually good, that actually signed good contracts. Uh, we can turn to the Whit Merrifield news. He signed a, a, a four-year $16 million deal with the Royals that will take him through his uh, his club control year. So, he, you know, the, the, Roy- the Royals do get a club option at the end of that, uh, I believe, for $12 million. So they do actually get some, you know, one year of his free agency. Um, but Whit Merrifield gets some financial uh, f- uh, security for a player that you know he did never got a huge bonus out of college. He, I think he got a hundred thousand dollar bonus out of South Carolina, and he's kind of had to work really hard to get through the minor league system. So it's kind of a nice reward for him for his for a job well done. We'll start with you first, Sean. Um, you know, you kind of wrote wrote an article breaking down the deal, and I, you know, I think like you, like everyone else, kind of seemed. Like uh, came down on the side of this being a pretty good deal for both sides, but what was, what was you want to go into a little more detail about that? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think it's better for Merrifield's side than the Royals' side. Um, like as you mentioned, Merrifield basically locks in his ARB numbers. Merrifield locks in his ARB numbers. I mean, even I wouldn't count on an aggressive scale, but kind of on like a uh, expected, maybe like a 60th, 70th percentile outcome for him in arbitration. He basically locked in all of those numbers, um, which is great. So he doesn't worry about any risk of him, you know, breaking his leg and, and never playing again or anything. Um, so he locks that in. The Royals, at first, the deal was like, eh, okay, because you didn't have any extra control. When it was first reported, there weren't any rumors of extra control or rumor was that it was a mutual option. Part of that is through to, like, whatever the John Heyman's confusing tweet was. Um, and so, like... That's one for the for the Royals. It sounded like okay, guaranteed his arbitration years. Some teams might see that as like, oh, now we know exactly what he's going to get, so we have some uh, cost assurance. But then the other counter argument is like, well, now you basically got rid of all flexibility because you can't cut him. You know, God forbid if he does get hurt, you can't cut him. 
Um, so you're losing that. So I think it was kind of a neutral move, a positive for Merrifield, a neutral move for the Royals. And then you add on the team option, um, which tilts it a bit in the Royals' favor. Um, it, it would have been more if it would have been like a little lesser value, um, considerably less, actually, I think. But, you know, it's kind of like what maybe the market rate for what Merrifield would have been. Because, um, I mean, not that he is necessarily going to age poorly, um, but, you know, you're talking about whatever it was, age 33, um, what Merrifield you'd you'd be looking at free agency for. So unless he has this kind of Benzobrist-like, um, the, you know, non-decline as he ages, um, or Adrian Beltran non-decline as he ages, then it's kind of like, okay, you're getting kind of the, already the free market value for him for a single year. And now, and you and I kind of agreed on this, I think, um, around the time of the deal is that you are getting him, you're buying one free agent year, you're not having to give him three or four free agent years right. uh, that you normally would have to. So there's a little bit of benefit in that, definitely. So I thought it was I thought it was good for Merrifield, hands down good for Merrifield, neutral to for the Royals, just because they didn't really gain that much in control over him, uh, in, effectively. Yeah, and you mentioned that it didn't have any uh, no-trade protection. So I think some people saw this as a sign of the Royals committing to Whit Merrifield, but others saw... You know the, the structure of the deal is interesting in that it pays him one million dollars this year, five million dollars next year, six point seven five million in twenty twenty one, but then it goes down all the way to two point seven five million in twenty twenty two. Really unusual structure, Hokias. And I wonder if that kind of flexibility. I mean, that could be good for the Royals if they plan on spending money that year. But could it also make him actually a more valuable trade asset now that a team that would be interested in him could see that low number and say, "Wow, he's going to be really cheap." in what could still be his prime years well you it depends <laughs> you have to you have to decide if at age 33 does it seem likely that he's still going to be good and that's that's a big question even now even as we've seen for two years what merrifield has has put up uh major league numbers and he's looked really good i there's still a lot of doubt in my mind as to, and I'm sure in, in lots of people's minds, especially if if we had Dugan here, I'm sure he would he would have plenty of doubts. But um, to can he can he maintain this for very much longer? Um, and ever uh, the Flanagan and a few other people will talk about how uh, he keeps himself in great shape, and, and he doesn't think he's going to to have the aging curve affect him the way it does everyone else, but. I, I would be very surprised if there were many players that if you went and asked them, you know, at 27, 28, hey, do you think when you're 31 that you're going to start being terrible like everybody else is? And, and they'd say, yeah, that's absolutely what's going to happen to me. So, um, and, and of course, we all said that about Gordon. Everyone said that about Gordon, Alex Gordon. They said, oh, he's he's the best shape. He doesn't even eat uh, junk food. So he'll, he'll absolutely be worth it. And then we've seen how that's kind of turned out. So if the... To think that uh, he'll have trade value even at the 2.75 for that last year is to think that he'll still be a good baseball player, and that's to me that's still a big question. Uh, and if if he is still a good player, then yeah. But at the same time, if he's still a good player, then at that point he's probably got. Well, hopefully he's got some of these guys in the minor leagues are coming up, and it's worth having him on the team to actually help win. If if the guys in the minor leagues are all flaming out at that point, then I I don't know. It's it's going to be scary regardless of whether they can trade him. Yeah, and I think I think uh, there are you know certainly doubts, especially when you talk about second baseman and their propensity for getting hurt 
and the the aging curve with second baseman seems to be rather sharp. So there's always I think the possibility of him kind of falling off the cliff. On the other hand, you and, know, if he's only getting, making two and a half million dollars, it seems like a risk maybe a team would be willing to make. Now, will they be willing to risk parting with top prospects to get him? You know, banking on that him be still being good at that age. I, I that's the million dollar question. Well, at this and, point. and we're not seeing a lot of uh, recently. We're not seeing a lot of top prospects being traded. Right. In any situation, yeah. So I, it's really, I think you kind of got to hope that uh, that he's just gonna still, he's gonna still be good, and he's gonna be cheap, and, and give the Royals some some room to spend if they choose to. My biggest takeaway from the contract really was that Dayton Moore still likes to do player friendly things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he that didn't was, have to that do was this. The biggest thing, right. yeah. He did, he he guaranteed. Whit Merrifield money for injury. That's the biggest. The biggest thing is that because uh, as Sean said, this is about what he would have made in arbitration, restructured differently, but it, it's all guaranteed now. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I don't know. I wonder how much that actually does play with free agents and other guys that they look and say, "Well, Dayton Moore is going to treat you fair." Um, I I would think that it would probably mean something, but I I don't know how much it means. But it's interesting to see him continue to uh, to take that tack. Yeah. And it may mean, mean more now with teams, with players so angry at teams for mm-hmm. how they've been treated uh, uh, this off season. Which I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the slow off season. But uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I think Dayton Moore maybe maybe he's building up some goodwill with players, and that maybe that benefits the Royals in the long term. But uh, you know, as many readers have pointed out several times, you know, usually it comes down to money. So and the Royals <laughs> don't always have the the right the, the upper hand in that. So. Maybe you know guys like Nicky Lopez forcing Whit Merrifield to be traded anyway. Uh, so that's a good segue into talking a little bit about the farm system. We've got a lot of organizational rankings um, and, and and prospect ranking lists uh, out in the last month. Uh, the Royals seem to be doing slightly better, maybe maybe better than slightly, uh, better than last year, which uh, they were shut out from. I believe the Baseball America Top 100 prospect list. Uh, Keith Law didn't have any top, you know, Royals in his top 100 last year. This year, you're starting to see a couple of guys. And what's really interesting is, 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 is you know, if you go list by list, it's a different Royal usually. Um, yeah. I don't know if there's a consensus on who the best Royals prospect is right now, which I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. You know, Keith Law ranked the Royals organization number 21 in all of baseball, which is pretty, you know, a lot better than last year. Last year, I think he had him uh, ranked near the bottom. Uh, and he had a couple Royals in his top 100 list. He had Daniel Lynch, the left-handed pitcher who was in the 2018 draft at number 53, and outfielder Khalil Lee, who spent last year in Wilmington and Northwest Arkansas at number 55. And, uh, you know, he sounded like cautiously optimistic about the organization, kind of saying that they don't really have the upper-end talent, but there, there are some guys that could uh, kind of, you know, rise through the system quickly or rise up rankings how do you assess the state of the system right now? Do you, do you kind of agree with his overall ranking um, and, and that, that kind of assessment? Yeah. I mean, I have a million thoughts on all this. Um, you would think, so the, the, I wouldn't, the issue that I have, I think would be um, 
you would like to see the system have grown, not just because of necessarily new talent. I don't know if new talent is the sign really of an approving farm system as opposed to growth of existing talent, if that makes sense there. Because, I mean, any farm system will get better if you add the number one prospect, but you can't just keep adding the number one prospect. You sometimes need your, you know, already drafted players to grow. So, you know, with baseball prospectus, I think they had three guys pretty highly ranked. Um, well, highly ranked as far as three guys in the 50s, if I recall. Um, it was, yeah, Matias at 30, 53, Lee at 61, Melinda at 63. So in that nice tight 50 to 60 range. Um, and so, like, that would be great if it was Matias and it was Lee and it was Melendez and Prado, um, a bunch of guys that were have been in the org before just this past June or, you know, the last time they did a full-on um, org ranking. You had natural growth from them. I think that would be a better sign than just, you know, a function of having three, you know, kind of early picks in the draft because you kind of expect that talent to happen. So I think there's two kind of things at play. Um, and, you know, it's nothing to speak bad about. Obviously, I would take the first pick through the 30th pick if I could get it. And I don't care how that really looks. But there's kind of a mix of the farm system is improved from what I read with Keith was that the farm system is a little bit improved just because of the picks they had. Um, and even the guy, a guy like Isbell looks better. I mean, is good. And he, you know, wasn't one of the first three picks. Um, and so I think it's a function of that, of, you know, then I wish to see more growth, though. Not just a reliance on new picks, because this year they'll have the number two pick, and yeah, maybe if everything else stays the same and none of the players get better or get worse, and then you add the number two overall pick, maybe you go from twenty-one to seventeen, and it looks like your system got better, which it did, but it maybe didn't get better because of the reason you would necessarily want, other than you know you added another player as opposed to your players got better. If that, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of my logic of thinking of it. Yeah, I yeah, I think that makes some sense, and I think there's also they seem to be benefiting a little bit from the fact we just don't know much about these guys yet. Like Brady Singer has yet to pitch in a professional game, and yet he is appearing on some top 100 list, so he hasn't failed yet. Which you know that's great, yeah. but we don't really know what we have with him, and he could skyrocket up lists next year, or he could kind of show that he's not you know he's a, a bust if he ends up being that, which I hope he doesn't. Yeah. But um, you know, and, and Daniel Graps. Lynch, Daniel Lynch, you know, had a great performance last year, but it was you know, what, 10, 12 starts last year. So yeah. there's a lot of mystery with these guys. Uh, and I should point out that Baseball America also had their organizational rankings today, and they ranked, oh, this, number, yeah, they ranked oh. this number 27, which is only up from number 29 last year. So they, they don't <laughs> seem quite as, as bullish on the system as as, uh, as Keith Law, at least. Uh, Hokais, um it seems like they at least have guys that – could 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 go up lists in the next year. I mean, the, a lot of the guys that are the top prospects are were in Le- Lexington last year or in rookie ball last year. Um, guys like uh, you know the, the guys they drafted last year: Brady Singer, Jackson Coar, Daniel Lynch, or even guys like Nick Prado, MJ Melendez. So, I mean, do you see a lot of like upward growth here, or are we maybe kind of looking through that with blue colored glasses? I the I think that we just don't know enough right now like you said those guys are all so low level and um the what i'm i'm looking at uh, sean's tweet here and, and just noticing not only are are is there just this wide variety of guys that are showing up on all of these different lists um but none of them are in the top 50 the closest is baseball prospectus mm-hmm. has 
Matias at 53, and ESPN has Lynch at 53. So none of these are like cons- uh, not even even in the 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 specific uh, publications. None of these guys are like, yeah, this guy, he's really good. Um, so there's no there's no kind of consensus, and I I worry a little bit that. Um, that there's just kind of this this sense that well the Royals haven't had a top 100 prospect for three years now we got to put somebody up here or they're going to yeah. think that we just start looking at their team uh, that, that's a little bit of a worry like you said um, everybody was so low and even I mean Singer Lynch these guys just got drafted so I think I think we really should know a lot more about the state of the farm system next year I'm not as concerned about what it looks like right now because. They're, they're so low, there's so little experience that it's hard to know uh, where we should be looking. And um, hopefully by next year we'll see some of these guys rise up. And if they haven't if they haven't risen up by next year, then we'll know that, that the farm system is indeed still very much in trouble. Uh, yeah, I think there's a really interesting article last November by Craig Edwards at Fangraphs, and he, he was taking like a quantitative approach to looking at or, you know how organizations stood up against each other. And he, uh, you know, he looked at all their grades. You know, players are graded on a scale of 40 to 70. And the Royals didn't have, they had just one player graded 50 or higher, being, you know, Suli Matias. Uh, and then, um, but they had 24 prospects rated 40 or 45. And that was, uh, I think, top 12 in baseball. So, I mean, Sean, is that, does that mean the Royals have a deep system? Or is, this, is, that, is that kind of a superficial way of looking at things? Yeah, I mean... A deep system is a function of your players that are ranked, call it, I don't know, six through ten, would be number one or number two prospects in other orgs. Um, so that doesn't quite sound like the function of, of what the Royals have. I mean, um, it's tough to see just because, and you'll read this in Keith's report, you'll read this in Baseball America's report. I think you read this um, in BP's report as well, um, that. The talent is just oh 2080 baseball supporters I'm thinking of the talent is just like so in the lower levels especially since like the three shiny new toys uh, one of them hasn't even had his debut the other guy Kowar wasn't that good and Lynch was good but I mean it was still in the low low minors that you've got all these guys that like the the bust rate on them is very very high because not only are they not top 100 or not top 50 like kind of elite level prospects but they're also kind of way in the low minors so. Um, yeah, I mean, I think not that this is a this is a lost year or anything, but it's a year of like, okay, we didn't really move that much. Let's just see what happens. Um, especially since they're adding the number two pick next year, and you would think that they are gonna maybe um, get some guys that'll have a ton of slot money, get some uh, get like a high school guy who might have fallen or something. And so, um, yeah, I, I think I wouldn't say depth is the right word, but I, I would say that there is. There is depth for breakout, I think. There's some high-volatility assets that could turn into good assets if they do break out. So, But, of course, they could turn into nothing. Um, and their risk of turning into bust is higher as well. Um, so, I don't know. I think this is a year where we're just kind of wait and see. And nobody expected us to go from 28 or whatever BA had us to second you know, overnight. So it's a slow process to begin with. Yeah, yeah but I do agree. I think there, I think there's a high, good potential of, of improvement next year they'll have the number two pick they've been linked to uh eric pena who is one of the top ranked international free summer uh an outfielder who has pretty good potential as a hitter they've got uh, you know they're not going to graduate anyone i mean 
it, just because there's no one in the upper minors other than Richard Loveletti who who will be in the major leagues by next year. So all the guys that are in there now will get to percolate for another year. And I, and I think there's some safety in numbers. Like if you have a lot of like C plus prospects, there's you know you you have a better chance than that one or two of them could could break through and become like a B or B plus prospect. Um, you know, but like you said, there, a lot of those guys are C plus for a reason, and and they may not. Uh, ever turn any anything, but I think there is you know cause for some optimism with this farm system, and then, honestly, there's nowhere they can go but but up at this point, and uh, you know it's hard for farm systems to, frankly, stay at the bottom for for very long. I mean, baseball kind of rigs it so that you have to improve your farm system. So, Fangraphs had their top, you could call it top 100, but really they ranked 130 guys um, today, and in their and no Royals made that list. I think we saw that as expected. But there are some interesting notes, I thought, that I don't know if we can glean the kind of aggregate total opinion. Um, but uh, Matias was a 50 future value guy, which would which would have made their top 100. Um, I think it's typically everybody from 50 up. And so Matias was no longer on the list, so he dropped down. But they also said Singer, if he actually had pitched, and assuming he pitches fine, um, he'll have a 50 future value. So he should be a top 100-ish guy. Um, but then they said, well, then they also had Melendez at 70th and then, you know, they kind of bounced around their list and they got a bunch of, you should drop Melendez. So he went from 70th to 131 or whatever you want to call off the list. So I think that points to the volatility of the system. And I think the rankings, um, that you, that, you know, you see across the board also shows the volatility of the system. Now, I think there's kind of two ways to look at that on the good side you could think like, okay, we've got a bunch of guys who are in consideration for top 100. So if all of them have solid seasons, in theory, they should all be together in the top 100 list. But the other bad side of that is like, well, you've got a bunch of kind of guys that nobody has a solid opinion on. So it's kind of, you know, you'd rather have everybody call the guy the 80th best prospect than have one guy call him the 80th and then everybody else leave him off the list because then it just looks kind of weird. The one, you know, guy called him the 80th. So, I think there's a there's a lot of wait and see and a lot of volatility, but yeah, we'll see. Um, especially since they're all together, I think that's uh, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch, just like it was in you know 2010, 2011, and 2009. And so, if there was a guy that maybe you were most optimistic about in the system, maybe not necessarily. I would say the best prospect, maybe the guy you think could be the you know biggest yeah. riser this year. Who would be a guy that you'd want to highlight? Uh, I guess let me start with you. And- Lynch was my guy last year, and I think he rose. Um, I really liked him coming out of the draft. I like Kowar, too, um, but I liked Lynch, and I had him as my number one. Oh, wait, sorry, my number two prospect. Oh, shoot, I forget where I ranked him. I think one or two, um, and then on my midseason list. And then, um, you know, he kind of ditched that Virginia kind of mold and then, you know, kind of quote-unquote broke out a bit. Um, But I think Kyle Isbell is going to be the guy, and he's going to be a popular name to begin with, too. Um, just because those kind of advanced college hitters that dominate the low minors, um, they kind of have that, you know, they kind of get that appeal immediately. They go, oh, man, maybe we got this wrong. Um, you know, we got his ranking wrong. But, you know, also you're talking about a college guy who dominated teenagers. So, uh, but I think Isbell would be the guy I think that I would be the most optimistic on that's kind of a low-level guy that could have a bigger. I think that's that would be it. Yeah, I really like Isbell as well. I definitely see the Jason Kipnis comps that, uh, people are making with him. Uh, Hokias, is there a prospect that maybe you're most excited about this summer? I, uh, I was going to say Kyle Isbell, <laughs> just because he had he had that great debut and and he just came out of nowhere and 
and that's always kind of the story, the, the kind of stories that I look for. Um, I mean, it's kind of why I'm a Royals fan, right? Uh, always, they've been nowhere, so I always look for them to come out of nowhere. Uh, so Kyle Isbell is a, is a guy that, he. I mean, he wasn't drafted too terribly low, and as, as Sean says, he was a, an advanced college hitter, and he's beating up on teenagers. So I, I, I'm excited, or I guess I should say I'm very interested to see what he'll do this year as they promote him through the system and and if he can keep uh progressing and getting better and and uh, or if he was kind of a flash in the pan and it was just you know the circumstances that hey, allowed I've, him to succeed i've got another one um michael gigliotti who's oh, right. we almost forget about him but yeah yep he missed That's all last year with fun. a knee injury what what, yep. what level do you think he'll start out this year do you have an he'll idea? go back to i would i would imagine lexington he'll get the tune-up games in lexington and then should be quick to um, to Wilmington with like Matias and Lynch and or Matias and you know uh, gosh dang Prado and Melendez and all them. Yeah, I'm just be... kind of surprised you didn't pick Chase Vallo. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about Chase Vallo anymore. <laughs> what a story that would be if he came back though, and, and John loved, would say I, he was right the whole, the whole time. Now I, I I would admit that I I was I jumped the gun, but I still I still think he's going to be good. I don't care what what anybody else thinks. I. Nobody walks that much as and ends up being that bad. Hits for that power and walks like that, it ends up being bad. So I'm just gonna say. I wonder if he becomes a guy that just you know becomes a minor league free agent and signs with like the A's or the Astros and just oh, yeah, the becomes Astros. like the next Max Muncie. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's a, mashes at the major league level. So yeah. Well, yeah, we'll be definitely be keeping our eye on the on prospects this year and 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 how they rise to the system. Of course, Sean is a great follow for keeping up with all the prospects and and uh, and rankings and how they're faring in the minors. So definitely follow him on Twitter if you're not already. Um, let's talk a little bit about the off season, how boring it's been. <laughs> uh, it's, this is really, and this is back to back years of just terrible off seasons of baseball. We've got over a hundred free agents still unsigned as we start free agents or start spring training this week, including some of the biggest names, Craig Kimbrell, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, all still out there for teams to sign. And it's good that we have both of you on here because you both wrote articles on free agency and, and this off season. And Sean, let me. We'll start with your take. Uh, you know, you wrote that. You know, maybe the problem isn't really with free agency. It's that we kind of have to recalibrate how the numbers that we're used to these players getting. You want to talk a little bit about that article? Yeah. Um, so I think, and I don't remember what kicked off this idea, but I think what was it? I don't know. I can't remember what it was, but I just got to thinking, like, okay. We bought into this idea that Bryce Harper has to be worth $400 million. Anything below that and the owners are cheap, which, I mean, to begin with, the $400 million deal is absolutely not cheap, but um, or even a $350 million deal um, because everybody was shocked when Stanton got that, and Stanton was basically the same age as Harper and Machado. Um, and so I, I, the genesis just comes down to that, where we have these expectations, and if you look at – and by expectations, I just use as a proxy the um, – the fan graphs, crowdsource estimates, which I love, and they and um, they typically come in a bit high, I think historically. Uh, but I use their their estimates, their guesses for the contract values of these free agents, and said, okay, this is you know historically what's happened, how the expectations have been, and it's that in the you know in 15 and 16 and 17 they were okay, and then all of a sudden 18 they got out of whack, and then 19. They haven't been quite as out of whack just because so few players have signed. But it's this narrowing of a gap, I would say, where um, you've got, you know, the fans and the players. And I think the players are, or the fans are typically, you know, um, 
a proxy for the players' expectations as well, where they think like, okay, Bryce Harper has to get four hundred million, and then you've got the kind of new age front offices which have been burned a lot in the past um, with these big, huge mega contracts. So you've got this kind of shift, and it was almost an immediate shift too, which is kind of why the collusion idea gets bounced around. But it's this idea that all of a sudden that you know players and fans did not change their expectations but the teams did and so someone has to meet the middle now whether that means the teams need to come up or the players need to go down there's got to be some shifting and if we're basing expectations off of old contracts that's a really really poor way to value an asset um you you need to be using kind of current information on it there is new current information on it so using old valuations using you know well jason hayward got 240 million dollars or david price got whatever it was 230 um, those kind of ways just aren't the right way to look at it anymore because teams simply aren't giving that out. And at the end of the day, teams are the buyers. And if a seller is offering their services for a price that the buyers don't want to pay, then it's up to either the buyers to say, okay, I will pay that, which is unlikely, um, or it's up to the sellers to say, what will you pay and come down? So that's just the idea is that I think expectations are out of whack at this point. And while I don't think it's just the players need to only come down, I do think the teams, uh, you know, not signing Mike Moustakis or, you know, him only getting whatever ridiculous amount he got last year um, is is bad manners, I guess you could say, from the teams. I think that, you know, the players need to come down a little bit more than the teams need to go up at least. I think what's what's made it hard to say whether or not this is collusion is is that we don't know what's being offered. I mean, it's it's a very yeah. opaque process. So, you know, if it's, it's if it's a matter of teams making fairly reasonable offers, but that are below what the market has been, you know, in 2016 or so, then then yeah, it seems like that's just a recalibration of the market to you know conform to what front offices know about analytics now. If it's a matter of teams just not making offers or making just super lowball offers, then that would that would seem like more collusive yeah. behavior that you know teams are showing uh, unusually strong restraint that they've never shown in 40 years of free agency, yeah. uh, and that would be a well, little suspicious. And I mean, um, there was the rumor that Bryce Harper turned down turned down 300 million from the Nationals, which I think was basically accepted as fact um, that you know it was offered. Nationals can afford it, and you know that's within Harper's range. But then, like, um, shout out to Devin Fink, who is a writer beyond the box score. He wrote, oh, well, Harper is never going to take 300 million. He's worth much more than that. Um, <laughs> makes total sense. But it's like, it's like really? 300 million? I mean, not that that's, I mean, Bryce Harper is worth on paper more than that. But, I mean, we're still talking about 300 million here. I mean, like, if he if he's turning that down, there are offers. Um, so that, I think speaks to that idea that the players and the fans might have a little higher expectations than um, we should be having. Well, it's also interesting seeing some of this being played out in the media, too. I mean, there's been you know, rumors like that or reports, uh, and then uh, the MLBPA actually responded kind of angrily at some of those reports saying, you know, this is undermining the free agent system. And, you know, you can imagine that some of these reports, I'm sure that, the three, you know, some of these, most of these stories are, being vetted or being re- reported responsibly, but you can imagine a scenario where teams were leaking or floating rumors that, oh yeah, we offered a pretty good offer to Manny Machado. He's just not taking it to make the players seem like they're they're greedy. And certainly, the, I think if you know the the average opinion of the man on the street, I think would would come down against yeah. the players at this point. Is that usually happens in these situations. Um, 
And so, you've also got players being vocal, too. I don't think vocal. you saw that in the past. I think you didn't have, you know, Justin Verlander and Sean Doolittle and Trevor Bauer and um, whatever his name is, Lance McCullers being like, these players are getting screwed. I don't think he ever had that. I don't remember recalling seeing tweets this just, this not bold, but, you know, players outright saying we're getting screwed. Yeah, it's it's been unusually... A, a long stretch of labor peace in baseball, but spanning you know over two, two, two and a half decades now. And I, yeah, you're right. I haven't heard this kind of vitriol since they had the last work stoppage when you really saw the barbers being exchanged. Um, you know, and that kind of segues into Hokias a little bit. You know, when you you actually wrote, I guess, two articles about uh, this off season. Um, the first one talking about you know whether or not this is collusion or not. This is really bad for baseball. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, it's you know we have the players being um, pretty upset and being vocal about it. Not only that, but you mix in a, a first round pick this year, a very you know a guy with a lot of potential, a guy to be a superstar, to be the face of baseball, Kyler Murray, who uh, decides that he doesn't want to play baseball after all, after signing a contract with the A's, returns the money and says I'm going to play football instead. Um, not only that, but you know, I, there's. Just having this slow of an offseason, I look at NBA Twitter. I'm not an NBA fan, really. I'm kind of a casual fan, but not a hardcore fan. I look at their Twitter uh, with envy. I mean, there's all sorts of drama, all sorts of cool trade rumors, all sorts of free agents uh, free agents switching teams. And in baseball, we just get nothing for you know three, four months. We get Billy Hamilton signing, and that's it, you know? <laughs> so I, you want to talk a little bit about your article and how this is bad for baseball? And I think you pitched a couple of ideas and maybe how, how you might fix it as well. So... My biggest thing is is that whether this is collusion or not, like you said, my article basically it boils down to baseball players are have been historically made one promise: you survive your sublivable wages in the minor leagues, you survive your rookie deal, which doesn't pay your value, and then you're gonna then you're gonna hit the money. And you're gonna you're gonna kind of make up for some of the money that you haven't been getting for the last ten years or so. You know, some guys will get up there faster, some guys will get up there slower, whatever. Um, and now what we're seeing is maybe you'll get your money at the end of that ten years. Maybe you you won't. Now, um, you know, maybe maybe uh, Bryce Harper isn't worth four hundred thousand. And and maybe he was offered three hundred thousand, and he 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 turned that down, and he should have taken it. But I'm, I was just looking at the list of free agents who haven't been signed, and I'm just seeing a lot of names of guys who who could help some baseball teams. I'm seeing uh, you know Mike Mustakis. I'm seeing Adam Jones, uh, Dallas Keuchel, Craig Kimbrell. We got all these guys who are um, you know they're not four hundred thousand guys. No one says they're going to be four hundred thousand guys, but they also don't have deals and and mike moustakis is, is you know they said there was a an estimate that he would get 80 million last year and that that might have been a little bit ridiculous but he probably i don't think anyone would reasonably have expected him to get one i think he got six and a half million for the royals last yeah, year for with, one year with, with incentives <laughs> right and, and I just I don't think any reasonable person looked at Mike Moustakis and his success from 2015, 2016, 2017 and said, yeah, that's probably about right. A one year deal for him, six and a half million, which was less than he made in arbitration. Um, I just I worry more than anything else. And there's there's other concerns, but more than anything else, I wonder why. Why do you want to play baseball? If you're if you're an athlete 
and you're in high school. I, I think mo- I, I don't maybe I'm mistaken. I think most athletes are in high school are able to play a lot of different sports uh, effectively, and then they kind of have to specialize as they get to college. Um, but as you, if you're in high school and you're trying to decide what sport should I play for the rest of my life, where do I want to where do I want to bet that I'm going to get paid? The smart money's not on baseball. You gotta. There's so much you have to survive before you get paid in baseball, and now you're asking yourself, well, am I ever going to get paid? Whereas you get drafted into the NBA, you get drafted into the NFL, you immediately get your money. And I just I I look at that and I say this is this is an issue. So my big suggestion for fixing it, um, what they what the. I, I had lots of I, I had a suggestion that basically the players would have to give up a whole lot. But what they were what I wanted them to get was I wanted them to get rid of the arbitration system and do a restricted free agency. I also wanted them to have a salary cap and salary floor because I think without the salary cap and salary floor, restricted free agency still isn't going to pay anybody um, uh, any more than they're getting now, or, or uh, you know it's not going to guarantee fair salaries to the to the degree that it. Um, if, if they're not getting free fair salaries now, they're not going to get fair salaries under restricted free agency without that salary floor. So that was that was my my thing was I want to get rid of arbitration because I think arbitration is a stupid system anyway where uh, the team and the player who should be allies are set against each other. Um, so I would, I would rather get rid of that and, and hopefully get players a fair market value earlier in their careers. Um, but then, of course, uh, to get all that, I think the players would have to give up a lot. And I'm not sure that there's enough for the players actually to give up to get that at this point. And what's interesting is that's very, very similar to the proposal the owners unilaterally imposed on the players in 1994 that eventually led to the, the, the work stoppage. They, they wanted a they, they imposed a salary cap. I can't remember if it had a salary floor. I'm guessing it did not. But they imposed a salary cap, and they and they offered uh, restricted free agency to players. I want to say they actually even gave the players uh, free agency a year, bef- five years after five years instead of, instead of six years, with uh, restricted free agency for four years. Uh, and the players said, "No, you know, we don't want a salary cap," and then that's that's what caused the work stoppage. So the- you know, I, I'd be very surprised if that stance has changed at all. The problem is that there is in effect now a salary cap right the, the the teams are treating the luxury tax threshold as if it were a salary cap so they the the players have already given up basically that mm-hmm. so what they need to do is they need to find a way to recoup something from there and i and i uh, that to me takes the form of that restricted free agency and that salary floor yeah i i, I think we're going to we're we're due for you know, I hope not a work stoppage, but it almost seems inevitable at this point that there's yeah. going to be some sort of work stoppage. Uh, you know, at the next uh, when the collective bargaining agreement expires, and uh, there's there's probably going to be a fundamental you know change in how free agency is dealt with and how players are paid because yeah, whether it's collusion or there's just teams finally waking up to the fact that free agency is not a great buy, um, something something's going to have to change uh, because. It's not good for baseball to have Manny Machado and Bryce Harper not in camp at the outset of spring training. This should be the most exciting time of the year for, like, you know, White Sox fans or Phillies fans or Dodgers fans to welcome their new star. And instead, yeah. you know, we've got 
sitting at I was, home. I think it was I think it was Craig Calcaterra or however you pronounce his name that I was reading. I was reading. He was talking about how this this really sucks for some team uh, marketing departments that yeah. would love to be talking about how we've got Bryce Harper and it's going to be an awesome year and they can't do it because they don't have him yet. Yeah, and, well, you know, it's to me it's kind of baffling too. Like the Dodgers moved all that salary with Alex Wood and Yasiel Puig. And um, who's a Matt Kemp? I think they also traded to sign AJ Pollock. The Indians, <laughs> you know, are going to roll with Jordan, Jordan Luplo in their outfield instead of signing Adam Jones to a one-year deal. No one could use Dallas Keuchel in the rotation or Craig Kimbrell in their their bullpen. Uh, and Mike Mustakas is baffling. Like he's, you know, if you're an analytics team, he's a solid two to three win player who plays solid defense, can hit you twenty to thirty home runs. I, I don't always necessarily buy into this idea of you have to wait for the highest guy to go mm-hmm. before some of the other guys go. But I do wonder if in the case of Moustakis, if everybody's like, okay, well, he's the second choice, mm-hmm. but we got to see if we can't get Machado first. Right. And then when, as soon as Machado signs, I think Moustakis signs like a day or two after that. Yeah, yeah it, but I'm not sure that the players for... I'm not sure that the players for Machado are the same players for Mustakas, though, right? I mean, like... Well, I've heard the Phillies are are very interested in both of them. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I get that. But I'm just thinking, like, you know, you're talking about, okay, we're either going to spend $250 million or we're going to spend $30 million. You know, it's kind of like, oh, that's a really well, big might, difference between in the case In the case of the Phillies, it might be, we want Machado. Yeah. If we can't get Machado, then we get Harper and Mustakas and go yeah. from there. No, I understand. I yeah, I was thinking like, man, I just I think of it. I think of it as like, if the Brewers wanted to go get Machado, so the Brewers not in on Machado, but if the Brewers wanted to go pick up Mustakas or like um, the Padres wanted Mustakas or the Indians wanted Mustakas, something like that, the, they could go do that. You know, the other they, question I would ask. Excuse. The question I would ask then at that point is: Is Mustakas waiting to see where mm-hmm. does Machado go? Because maybe maybe he thinks he can get a better deal from the Phillies or whoever else that that loses out on the Machado yeah. uh, sweepstakes than the guys who are who are not in the Machado sweepstakes are currently offering him. Yeah. Mike needs to just learn maybe to just you know <laughs> take He's the got offers for an him. agent. So yeah, because he and I mentioned this in the piece that I wrote that he was supposed to get eighty million last year. And uh, he is he was better this year. He's projected to be better in 2019, and now he's gone from 80 million down to 36 million. So something happened to where he's gotten better, and he's gotten uh, projected to be better, and yet he took basically a 50 percent pay cut. You know, in theory at least. So I think uh, I, I think that Mike needs to needs to sign somewhere and not, <laughs> yeah. worry, not trying to play I, games. I think- I think if I was Mustakis, I would be like, just what? What's the best deal we've got? Let's just do that and yeah. and not go back to the Royals for another year and five million. Yeah, and and let's be and let's be honest about that. That's was an incredibly stupid idea for every other team but the Royals. Yeah, you could have paid Mustakis call twelve. Well, the draft pick was the issue, so I would yeah. I don't think a team would pay ten million dollars to cop up a draft pick for Mustakis. But heck, you could have given him. He would have he would have taken what three thirty million? I mean that's a hell of a lot better than one six. And yeah. so uh, you know sure you cop up a draft pick, but you know what? I mean I don't know. That's but if if you're a king team though, I, I mean yeah, ten, no, getting yeah. Mike Mustakas for ten million and giving up was it a second round pick? Yeah. Uh, you know that if that's what I, separates you from you know winning game seven of the ALCS, man, it seems like you should do at, it. And I understand there's a lot of teams tanking right now, and there's a lot of super teams out there, but. There's a lot of teams that are kind of in the middle that, you know, I, I applaud what the Reds are doing. And I, I don't necessarily think they're 
a playoff team right now, but they're not that far from it. And I don't see why teams like the Twins and the Brewers and the Red Sox, or not the Red Sox, the uh, Rockies, um, and you know, kind of teams in that middle class aren't doing more to get into the upper class because they're not far behind. You know, the Red Sox are like a couple injuries away, and maybe some clubhouse dissension, and maybe you know, a guy has a bad season from from being not that great. So why not take your chance? So I don't, yeah. know. I don't know. I, I, I just remember all the 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 gyrations the Braves went through at third base last year. They tried Jose Bautista at third base. Yeah. Uh, they they could have used a Mike Moustakis. Yeah. And I think and I think to go back to kind of what you were speaking about earlier, I do think there is the delineation between free agency and getting to free agency. I think we can all pretty much universally agree, at least everybody that's not a team owner, that the the path to free agency is incredibly complicated and incredibly stupid um and so i i think that the system to get to free agency is broken i'm not sure that free agency itself is necessarily broken but i do think that you know i think we can all agree that yeah really really bad system and max as you mentioned yeah i was just looking it up um the the 94 proposal was four years of team control so it's six down to four no arbitration and then restricted free agency for fifth and sixth year players so i mean it was the system we all effectively want, say for restrictive free agency, and they turn it down. So I, I imagine the billions of dollars you know free agents would it would have had by now if that would have been accepted. Yeah, and I think I agree with you that you know free agency itself is is maybe not broken. And you know I threw out the idea of maybe transitioning to more of a performance based model where you know players have incentives now, but they're based on like playing time which I think is kind of a stupid way to, to parcel out. I'd rather see it based on... Especially since teams control the playing time. Right, yeah. exactly. And, and you've seen disputes over like, hey, I didn't get that in the start because you benched me in September for some young kid, and, and, and that maybe that was for legitimate reasons, or maybe it wasn't, but that can lead to disputes. So I'd like yeah. to see something where they base it more... You know, it doesn't have to be wins above replacement, but something that makes more sense as far as showing the value of a player. Um, and, and for players that are before free agency, I'd like to see them get a little bit more based on their performance. I mean, frankly, it's kind of silly that Whit Merrifield got paid half a million dollars for, for a five-win season last year, and he's probably never going to get that big payout. I mean, $16 million, that's great. That's more money than you and I will ever see, but that's not really what he's worth on the open market to the Royals. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah there needs to be a fundamental change, and I don't know what the answer is. I think um, Hokaias has some good ideas, and I'm sure that'll be a starting point for negotiations, but um, it, there's going to be, I think free agency is going to look a lot different in five years than it does right now, but we'll have to see yeah. how, it, how it ends up. But. And I want to point, I want to point to this and not to derail this whole conversation, but I, I do want to point out at least that I'm looking at the fan current estimates for this year and then what players have gotten. And I think, and just looking at these, so Corbin was expected to get a hundred million. He got one forty. Um, of course he got an extra year. Um, so instead of 500, he got 6140, but still, you know, better than expected. Donaldson uh, got 123. He's supposed to get 356. So basically, got AAV wise. Uh, uh, what was it? I saw. Yeah. So McCutcheon was supposed to get 42, got 50. Hap was supposed to get 30, got 34. Morton 32, he got 30. Evaldi was supposed to get 42, he got 68. And so I think, 
I think the money is still being paid out in free agency. Most of these guys are getting basically what they expected, if not more. Now you've always got the fluctuations of you know four years against five, but the AAV is pretty spot on. Um, but yeah, it's it's this middle tier um, that we're talking about with the Mustakas that just have been get totally screwed over. Um, and, yeah, and that's where that's where the majority of you know even the successful players are going to be. Yeah. You're not going to have a majority of Bryce Harpers and Manny Machados. You're going to have. Mike Mustakis's and and uh, Adam Jones's, and what that's what's kind of remarkable to me is not not so much that Harper's unsigned, which is remarkable, I think, but that there's there's a hundred free agents still unsigned, which yeah, a lot of those guys are kind of fringy major leaguers, and you know should probably sign minor league deals, but in past years it seems like a lot of those guys got minor league deals or cheap one year deals. So I'm a little baffled, and this is the second year in a row that's been like this. I mean, there's hundred free agents at the outset of last spring training too. Like those guys, unless they're just asking for ridiculously stupid deals, like why aren't those guys, uh, you know, uh, why are they still unsigned? Why was, why was Jake Diekman unsigned until today? I mean, he ended up signing a, you know, a, a deal that was lower than I would have expected. You know, as a veteran left-handed pitcher, I thought he would have gotten a few million. He got 2 million. So that's, that's pretty good. But um, you know, why did it take so long for him to get that offer? I don't know. It's, it's, it's it's a different world now, and I don't know how it's going to play out. Uh, but uh, it's going to probably mean a lot. Uh, uh, it's going to mean a lot of big changes, and that's going to have a big impact on the Royals too. I think. Can I point out that thirty-five-year-old Annabelle Sanchez just got two years, nineteen million, not that long ago? Like, well, yeah, and there's these weird aberrations. And you mentioned Corbin yeah. too, and then Eric Hosmer last year, who definitely is not an analytics <laughs> guy. Yeah, and he gets a th- and so there's weird anomalies like that. Yeah, uh, and I don't. <laughs> So you know, make, that makes it tougher to say it's collusion when you have those kind of contracts. Um, but I don't. Know, it's like, it's like is, a, go ahead. Well, that, I mean, I, it's just going to say that's why I've stopped arguing. This is collusion. We need to fix this. It's it's that okay. If it's not collusion, we've still got a problem here. If guys are worried that they're not ever going to get paid. Yeah. Well, it, it kinda, more it kinda, money. It kind of reminds no. me of this the off season simulation. We uh, every off season, Sean, where. It seems like there's a lot of guys that like the same player, and it's like a, yeah. like, like the internet darling. Like I remember Ben Zobrist when we did the simulation, like that bidding got up to like a hundred million. It was uh-huh. stupid money. It's like yeah. guys at that at that price, Ben Zobrist is not a value anymore. But yeah. then like we everyone would would ignore like a really solid player like Daniel Murphy, and he ended up signing like a one year deal in our simulation. So there's I, always I, those guys that like you announce what he signed for, and I go. Shit, I forgot that guy was even was even <laughs> in the simulation. So yeah, so I don't know. This is like this is like our simulations being played out in real life, or, or yeah. what? Um, but yeah, it seems like a lot of the analytics guys. I mean, because Patrick Corbin was a really popular guy among the analytics types, and of course yeah. he ends up getting a really nice deal, even when he kind of restricted his his target markets. He's like he had to be on the East Coast, so that limited his his pool really to just a few teams, and yet he still got a a really good deal. So. Uh, yeah, it's really weird how that's played out, but uh, yeah, we'll have to see how it, how it all works out in the end. Uh, you guys want to give a prediction on when Bryce Harper and Manny Machado sign? I mean, are they are they signed by opening day? Would you say yes or no? Go ahead, guys. I I'm I'm gonna say yes. They're gonna be signed before opening day because I think we saw um, I, I want to say 2014 when they when they really first started with the uh, the the qualifying offers. We had some guys who said, you know what screw it i'm gonna wait till after the qualifying offer wears off and then i'll play and they had they had horrible 
years and it hurt their chances to earn money later. So I, I really think Harper and Machado are going to want to avoid not playing. And so I think they'll sign, they'll both sign before uh, spring training ends. Who is it? It was Kendry Morales and someone else. Er, did Irvin, Irvin Santana, I think, signed your... right around opening day. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, infielder at the Yankees. Um, yeah. Oh, his name is escaping me now. Stephen Drew. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't believe Stephen Drew got a qualifying offer. Even Thinking back, it's like he got a qualifying offer, really? But I remember the bar was – that was a wild west where everybody just got it because – they, everybody said no, basically. Like, oh, no, I can do better. And then finally, Brad Anderson or whoever was like, wait a second. You're going to pay me $18 million for one year? Okay, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, the history of the qualifying offer, the compensatory system has been, uh, yeah. It's interesting to look back at who got uh, draft picks uh, back in yeah. the day. Uh, yeah, I think I think Harper, I, I think it's by, I think by opening day. Um I wouldn't be surprised here if in like the next week or two chips started to fall. Um, you get you know you get Machado and Harper. I think really there's going to be that levy break where like if and it might not be Machado and Harper, it might be like Craig Kimbrell or, or Kimbrell or Dallas Keuchel signs and then those dominoes start to fall. But I mean at at some point Harper and Machado have to be like okay we're not going to get 400 million. Let's figure out what we can get and then go from there. Um, and so I don't know. I, I think Harper probably signs by opening day, but it wouldn't totally surprise me if, like, the there's that one guy who does sit out the whole year and say, you know what, screw this, you, you know, we need to send a Maybe message to you, you owners or whatever. And because uh, I remember, if I remember correctly, he took kind of an unorthodox path uh, as an amateur, like he went to a yeah. junior college instead of you know, so he could be eligible for the draft. And um, so you know, I I don't know if he's you know he's young enough that he could afford to sit out a year. But of course, that's you know that's asking a lot for a player to give up one of his, one of his prime years yeah. just to prove a point. So I don't know. It's it's. I think and you're you know, probably uh, right. I think chips will start falling. But man, you know who's hurting the worst from this is uh, MLB the show because he's their cover. He's their cover guy. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> is he wearing? I forgot a, about that. Is he wearing a cap? No, he's wearing a. Uh, I think they right now tentatively have him wearing like a. Not a Nike jumpsuit, but just a jumpsuit. But it's like plain. It's, it's like an Adidas like white pullover. It's just a picture of him shopping at the mall. Yeah. Someone, someone on the internet suggested, and I thought this was actually a great idea, that you just ship MLB the show with a set of stickers for all 30 teams. <laughs> so you could just put the uniform on oh, and yeah. it belongs there. I'm, I'll, yeah, put, I'll just, put a royal just, sticker on him. It's exactly. just him in a white hooded pullover. Um, if you go Bryce Harper, the show cover, yeah, I mean – they're just waiting to slap a logo on them, basically. Yeah. Well, you know, if he if he ends up signing with the Royals, we'll have all that all that complete oh coverage. Uh, that we'll go crazy with that. Uh, but we'll <laughs> we'll kind of wrap things up here for tonight. Uh, just by talking a little bit about our expectations for spring training. Um, you know, spring training it's a bunch of fake games uh, in Arizona. Uh, you know, there's always that one player that ends up mashing or looking really good that fans get excited about, but you know, I we don't probably shouldn't take it too seriously, but is there, is there anything you're looking for in spring training to, you know, a guy working on something or is there a, a guy that a guy that really needs to show what he can do to make the roster this year? Uh, Sean, is there is someone you're keeping your eye on in spring training? Um, I still think Kyle Zimmer is the best pitching prospect the Royals have had in probably the past 10 years, even probably better than Zach Greinke. Um, you can at me all you want on Twitter about that. I don't care. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I'm looking for Kyle Zimmer to. Was he? Was he invited to camp last spring? I don't remember. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was okay. 
Um, so, I mean, I'm just, that's the one thing is that, like, I'll always be tempted, just like Chase Velo, I'll always be tempted with Zimmer of, like, man, I just want this guy to be healthy and be really good because I've really enjoyed, you know, watching him as a prospect. Um, so I'm I'm really just looking for health. And I think when our, our roundtable um, gets posted that we all just went through, um, we answered for, I, it's basically the theme there is, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking for health. Um you know, like if MJ Melendez comes out and just tears up spring training, he's not going to make the opening day roster. So it doesn't necessarily matter. He's going to get he's going to go to Wilmington. Um, and so I'm really just looking for guys to stay healthy. And um, I don't know, just uh, see who makes the roster, really. But I, I'm not, I don't think there's a big storyline. Oh, okay. So what are you looking for in spring training? Uh, I'm looking. I'm looking. Kyle Zimmer. I want to see if he can break the roster. Uh, just like I think everyone else at this point, it, it's kind of come to the. I mean, we've. I've, I feels like no. the last three years we've been. Yeah, at the point. you've been. Let's say they've been saying that the past three years. The it's it's to the point where he needs to make the roster, or, or we need to. He needs to just kind of walk away from baseball because it's just not going to happen. But I, I think. Uh, you know, it, we're we're at that point again. I want to see him on the big league roster, or I'm I'm. I'm over it. I want to see Bubba Starling. I want to see if he can do anything in spring training um, to give me hope that he can someday be a major league baseball player. And then I want to, I want to see the prospects and, and uh, you know, like you said, MJ Melendez, if he, if he mashes, he's not going to make the big league team, but if he mashes, then I'll feel like eh, maybe he can be good in a couple of years when he's actually ready for the big league team. And, and you know, I, I don't, did Matias get invited? Did Khalil no. Lee get invited? I don't know. Whoever uh, no. the big, yeah. whoever, whatever amazing. prospects they they get up here, I want to see if if somebody can just do anything to make me think that they're going to get over this. Uh, you know, the we were I was saying earlier, nobody's over the top fifty. I want to see if anybody, if I can feel like in the future, I might see somebody break over that top fifty and make me feel better about our farm system. Yeah, I'll say uh, you know I want um, also kind of fit that theme of health, but I'll be looking at uh, Danny Duffy. I, who, People kind of forget was missed the last six weeks of last year with a shoulder impingement, and um, you know he's had some concerns about his velocity going up and down. So I'll be kind of looking at his velocity, not so much his numbers in Arizona, but just you know, how's his fastball looking? Is he keeping that you know, velocity up? Um, you know, if he gets knocked around, that's fine. He may be working on something or just kind of working his way back. But um, you know, I just want to see if he can make it out there and and, and show that old heater. I'll also be looking for Jorge Soler just because, you know, mm-hmm. he has been a big disappointment. And I think I've been like the one-man Jorge Soler fan club on Royals Review. <laughs> and I'm kind of, uh, you know, taking all my <laughs> merchant merchandise and sticking in the corner at this point. Uh, but so Jorge really needs to kind of show me something now at this point. And, and show, by show me something, I mean like stay on the field for like 100 games or more. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm sure he's going to hit some tape measure home runs. Uh, I I just really need to see stay out there. So, be uh, an interesting spring. I think the Royals, you know, there's a lot of their positions are set, but there there'll, there'll be some positional battles, and we can talk more about that as spring training advances. And and we'll we'll be back on the podcast then. And of course, you can always follow all the latest Royals news at Royals Review, and on our Twitter feed at Royals Review. Uh, Hokius, thanks so much for joining us. Of course, we'll have you again uh, soon. And Sean, do you wanna do you wanna send us out? Yeah. Oh, um, real quick. I know I will wrap this really, really quick. I swear. Um, I totally forgot that they got Jason Adam back. He's. I was looking non-roster invitees, and he's back. Um, but he was. Did 
they just released him to get him off of the 40 man, right? He was just DFA'd. Yes, he was uh, non tender to DFA to okay. make room for, I think, 40 man roster shuffling. Okay, anyway. They brought him back. They brought, a bunch, uh, they brought back him. So this kind of speaks to Dayton Moore. You know, maybe people like Dayton Moore. They brought back a lot of guys that got released on minor league deals, yes. like Bubba Starling. Uh, so I don't know if that says. Okay. And Kyle Zimmer came back well, he, on a major yeah. league deal. Uh, but apparently there are some, some bidders out for him, so, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll just be waiting to see what Andres Machado does. That's the only guy I care about. Um, yeah. Royals get Machado. That's what the yeah. say. Okay, well, uh, thanks, Max, and uh, have many, uh, many good days. Mm-hmm.